Uh, listen, open up to Galatians 6. That's where we'll be. We're going to be actually wrapping up the book this morning, uh, covering the last handful of verses here. And uh invite you to turn there with us. While you're doing so, um, I need a teen in the room to read this for me. What does this say? Trent, help me out. Hi, I'm going to the store. Wait, stop, stop, stop. What does this say in text language? Read it how it says in text language. It's all caps. Hi, I'm going to the store. One thing. That's it, right there. Now, this is, first of all, a little bit of free technological advice for those of you who are newer to texting. Um, we're going to henceforth um, refer to this as eye shouting, okay? So if you are, um, if you are intending to shout at people, keep the all caps on. If you don't want to be shouting at people, um, find someone that's better at texting than you and help them find out uh, how to stop shouting at people. Um, uh, Galatians 6.11, who's got it? Someone stand up and read Galatians 6.11 for me. I asked you at the beginning to, to turn to Galatians 6, and Rich told you a few weeks ago to obey your pastor. All right, let's hear it. Let's hear it, Dwayne. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. He got the point. He got exactly the point. Um, this is near the end of the letter. And Paul inserts this little, this little, basically, exclamation. And, uh, and scholars and people a lot smarter than probably most of us in this room kind of debate whether now he's taking the letter from a scribe, like maybe he was having it scribed, like letters are often done. And now he's writing it and he's not a professional, uh, his penmanship isn't quite what a, what a scribe's would be. Or maybe he's been writing this all along and this is, and this is, and this is all caps. Um, Either way, that doesn't overly matter. What, what I want you to get is this. In Galatians 6.11, as he goes into the closing part of the message of this letter, he basically hits all caps and says, this is important. What's about to follow is, is really important. And basically, his last appeal is to trust the gospel for salvation alone and to live out this newfound faith every day. Calls it your walk. Now, he uses this phrase that, that I've seen uh, very, very often. It's, a, it's kind of a familiar Christian phrase that we see, and it has to do with boasting. It's tucked right in this passage that we're going to look at. So I wanted to just start off with, uh, with some, some boasting and thinking through the idea of boasting. Now, some of you haven't been on a, on a schoolyard in a long time. Some of you are kids, and you're there all the time, and you're, and you're uh, in this mode. Here's my question for you. Um, what do kids tend to boast about? What do kids, kids tend to brag about to their friends and, and talk to each other about? Let me get some responses. And through the miracle of technology, instead of writing it on a chalkboard, you're going to see it written behind me as you talk. Abby, what do you got? They boast about what? The kind of technology they have. Is this a different world or what, Right? Yeah, they boast about what kind of technology they have. All right. What do you got? How fast they are. How fast they are. Yeah, I bet I could beat you, right? And they, they challenge each other, okay? So, so speed or some physical feat that they, that they have. What else? Their dads. Their dads. What about their dads? Which one's stronger? Okay, most of the time it's which one's stronger. Ben always went with which one's taller because he always won that one. Yeah, I mean, my dad can beat up your dad, which is like this 
this early passive-aggressive sign, right? It's like, I'm challenging you, but I don't want to fight you, but I'm pretty sure my dad can beat up your dad. Uh, okay, uh, anything else? What else comes to mind? Nothing else? That's it? Three things? Yeah. Yeah, the clothes they have, absolutely. Hey, look at this new thing I got, whatever. So we can go on and on with this, right? I mean, it could be grades, it could be, you know, it could be uh, other physical feats, whatever it is. Okay. Um, now, for those of you who are not in school, so you have, you have graduated from elementary, middle, high school, say you've even graduated from, from beyond high school and, and beyond. Looking back on the things on the screen, um, let me ask you this. Um, have they grown, have these things that kids tend to boast about, have those things grown in importance over time or shrunk in importance over time? What's your answer? Shrunk, right? Is that a pretty universal answer? Some of you are like, well, I'm still pretty concerned about my dad beating people up. If that's you, okay, that's fine, I'll give you that one. But in general, as we look at, uh, as we look at the things that were boasted about on the schoolyard, as time has gone on, we've looked and seen, those are, those are, a little bit more frivolous. They were really, really important to us when we were when we were there. Who's dating who? Who who got into this class? Who's friends with who? Uh, who lives where? Whatever it might be. Let me ask you this now: um, What do adults boast in? And kids, you can weigh in on this as well. Adults, you can weigh in on on, on this as well. So, what do what do adults tend to to boast in? Technology. Technology. All right. Yeah. Absolutely. Jobs, yeah, career and jobs. A lot of times, that's one of the first things that uh, that people will will reveal about themselves. Who else had one? Success, Success. yep, yep, and in its various forms. Yeah, buddy. What they have, just their stuff. Yeah, I drive this car, or I have that, or I live here. Clothes certainly comes up. Less. Kids, yeah, family, spouse, kids, how they're doing. Yeah, okay. Religion, who said that? Thanks, Bill. Yeah, religion and, and, and boasting about, about different things there. Abby, respect? Okay, yeah. So on and on it could go. Um, now, for those of you who are not adults, so I'm talking to the kids in the room and the teens, we'll include the teens, um, here's, here's our list. Uh, by and large, go back to the other one. There you go. By and large, um, is this stuff... Really, really important stuff or not? What do you think? Okay, some say yes, some say no. I'm, I'm, hearing, I'm hearing a mixed bag. Mixed bag? Yes and no? Okay. Um, as, you, as you start thinking through the different things that are important, um, kids, are, kids are really, really important, but sometimes what an adult might boast about with their kid isn't that important. Um, careers are important, right? They, they help us get money and they, they help us fulfill maybe a calling of some ways God's gifted us. But sometimes the, the things that are talked about with a career aren't really that important at the end of the day. Um, what I want to do is this. I want to point out some Bible verses. And I'm going to put up just a couple of them um, because boasting and glory and praise all kind of tie into this word, this idea, this theme that we're talking about. And it's talked about a lot in the Bible because it's super, super important. Let me give you just a couple. Negatively stated, boasting is conceitedly praising oneself. So in pride, talking about yourself and your accomplishments. But positively, it's trusting in and exulting in God 
and what he has done. Let me show you a couple verses so you can see what I, so you can see what I mean. Uh, first is, are we back yet? Sorry, we're doing a quick switcheroo. Thanks, Jameson. Uh, James 3.5. It says this, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Psalm 34.2. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. There we see a negative and a positive one. Here's some more. Proverbs 27.1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. So there's the clear biblical teaching not to boast about the future and your plans. And 2 Corinthians 12.9. But he said to me, Jesus, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I, Paul, will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What we boast in, what we praise, is hugely important. In fact, salvation is actually at stake. Bill brought up religion. Um, Galatians, remember, we're calling this series Right from God. That is, you are made right from God. And look at Ephesians 2.9. Not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. Paul is closing this letter by contrasting good boasting and bad boasting. Look what he says in verse 14. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not the final word on boasting, but this is a massive sweeping statement of all the word boasting and, and praise and glory that you see in scriptures um, Paul's writing a pretty, uh, pretty comprehensive statement here. Now, I want you to think for a moment and think if you are an innie or an outie with your belly button, okay? If appropriate and you need to check, check away, okay? We don't normally talk about our belly buttons in church, um, but how many of you are innies? Let me see your hand if you're an innie, okay? All right, the innies this morning are going are gonna to serve as the illustration. Don't worry, we're not going to look at your belly button, okay? That's your private deal, um, and we'll take your word for it that you're an innie. An innie, belly button, reminds us of this. It reminds us that the Christian life, real Christianity, is inside out and not outside in. It's inside out. Real Christianity has this change that takes place on the inside, and it begins to permeate and affect and show itself outward. It's not something outward that we put on, and then it somehow is going to magically transform the inside. Um, those who miss this get hung up on ritual and performance. And what happens is they end up focusing on and boasting in things that just don't matter. We're going to talk about bad boasting. If you're taking notes, you can, you can jot this down. A bad boasting is found in Galatians 12, 6, 12, and 13. Let me read it. You can follow along. It says this, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Remember there's these guys called the Judaizers, the fakes, the falsies. These are the false teachers that have come in um, and they're upsetting the churches in this region of Galatia. It's the whole occasion that Paul wrote the letter to this church in the first place. He wrote them because, remember he says this, 
Are you so foolish? He starts off the letter with a bang. Wake up, church. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now trying to finish out your walk by the flesh? So he's calling them away from that. He's saying, don't veer off course. Real Christianity is a gift that's given to you and it's on the inside. It has nothing to do with the outside going in. So verse 12, it says that they wanted to make a good showing in the flesh. And verse 13 says that they may glory in your, their followers, flesh. So Paul is exposing one last time. He's closing the letter and he's revisiting back on these Judaizers. He's circling back one more time to point out the error of their ways. Hey, these guys are motivated by their glory and they chalk up converts so that they can show off, is what he's saying. Furthermore, he's saying this. Their cowardly souls are actually being exposed because by doing this, they're actually maintaining the status quo and no one gets persecuted for maintaining the status quo. You get persecuted for following the truth. You get persecuted for following the cross of Christ. But you don't, you don't get persecuted for maintaining the status quo. There were social and financial hardships that came with following Christ in that day. And they didn't want any part of that. So if you're taking notes, you can jot down a couple of results of this. Here's the results of bad boasting. First of all, you get to put on a pretty good show. You get to impress people. If you boast in the wrong stuff, then you get a lot of Facebook likes. You get a lot of followers. People will kind of, can kind of rally around you. So that's, that's a result of, of misguided boasting. Uh, number two is this. By focusing on ritual instead of the relationship, which is exactly what the Judaizers were doing. Remember, they were saying this. The cross of Christ, yes, but also these rules and regulations. The relationship with Jesus, yes, that's fantastic, but also you need to do these things. Then you will be made right with God. Then you will be saved. So by doing that, they, they were wasting their life on a lie. Look down at verse 15, Galatians 6.15. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Do you see that Christianity is an innie and not an outie? It's about what goes on inside. Is it going to permeate and show itself in your character and your conduct and your attitude? Yes! but can you try to force character, conduct, and attitude on the outside and then hope that it will someday transform the evil inside you? No. And the lie that they were perpetuating by doing this was they were giving themselves, devoting their energy to getting a bunch of converts, which put on a good show, but was misguided. Finally, number three, and this is probably the most terrifying of all, Missing relationship for ritual misplaces your confidence. There's something that awaits sinners, and it's judgment. And sin gets what it deserves, which is punishment. And if your confidence is misplaced, that's a massive problem for all of eternity. And their confidence here was placed on something wrong. And not only that, they were teaching others 
to place their confidence in the wrong place. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. It says, for we are the circumcision. Paul was back on this topic of circumcision, and he was saying, we're the true circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and catch this, and put no confidence in the flesh. Our boasting, our confidence, what we stand on, the rock that we build our lives on, is not on our flesh. It's on what Christ has done, not on, we, not on what we've done. Let's look at good boasting for a moment. Good boasting is found in verse 14. He contrasts it. He says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of, of, in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Think about what does it mean to boast in the cross? Isn't that a weird idea? I mean, when you really start to think about it, boasting in the cross seems like a really strange idea. I hope that as community groups this week, you'll, you'll tackle the questions that are, that are put out. And that's one of the ones we're going to talk about. Explore what that means. Rather than leaving it as a silly Christian cliche or something that sounds kind of like, yeah, dive into that and explore what it means. To boast in the cross, you have to understand the cross. What is the cross? I mean, the cross in and of itself is a torture tool. What happened on the cross is shameful, it's disgusting, and it's not even mentioned in polite society. And yet we're to boast in the cross. Why should we praise this? Why should we boast in this? The Bible teaches that the gospel and the cross, and as Paul's using the word cross here, He's talking about something broader than just a physical couple of pieces of wood, beams that are kind of nailed together, isn't he? He's talking about what the, the implications of the cross. But the Bible teaches that the, the gospel is, um, is at a bare minimum, it's folly, it's foolishness, and at worst, it's, it's deeply, deeply offensive. Just listen to 1 Corinthians 1.18. It says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness, to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is what? Anyone know? It's the power of God. Our confidence, what we boast in, when we say we boast in the cross, we're boasting in the power of God, the power to save. So the cross is, the, the cross is foolishness, but it's also offensive. Right here in Galatians, look over at chapter 5, verse 11. Paul's writing and he says this, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, remember he was being accused of that, he says this, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. The fact of the matter was, he was still preaching the cross. He was not preaching circumcision. Circumcision was the status quo. He was committed to the truth. And for that commitment to the truth, he received marks for it. That's code for scars and lashings and abuse and attempted murder on his life for standing up for what's right. I think that if you aren't either deeply offended by the cross or forever moved and love the cross, 
I think you don't really understand the cross and the gospel. It doesn't really leave itself in a place where you can just kind of sit there and kind of politely ignore it. The message of the cross represents the truth that you are sinful, that you deserve that gruesome and shameful and disgusting act that goes on on the cross, and furthermore, that you are powerless to save yourself. Now, this offends the proud. It offends the sophisticated, the enlightened, because it's so humbling. Think about what nations boasted in. So remove it from an individual um, idea of what, what individuals boast in. Think about what nations boast in. What did Rome boast in? Rome called itself uh, the eternal city. And Rome boasted in its military. Move on to another great civilization that we study in all of our schools, the Greeks. What did the Greeks boast in? Their intellect, right? So you've got brawn, brain. How about the Hebrews? What did the Hebrews, the Israelites, boast in? They boasted in the fact that they received the law from God. And then you take nation after nation today, civilizations today, and what a lot of them would boast in is this, the age of their civilization. We've been around for a really, really long time. Christians boast in the cross. None of that. By stark contrast, Christians boast in the cross. We can't possibly cover all that the cross means and all that it means to boast in the cross in the very short amount of time, but I thought we could take one aspect of it, and we actually just sang about it, and we're going to sing about it some more, actually. I want to take one aspect of the cross and what it means to boast in it and what it represents to us and why we would even want to boast in it. And that is this, the steadfast love of God. The steadfast love of God is all through the scriptures. I was listening uh, to some Bible yesterday. I was on a bike ride, and I heard about the steadfast love of God, already knowing I was talking about the steadfast love of God. It just shows up everywhere in scripture. By way of illustration, uh, Ravi Zacharias tells the story of a man um, who had been married to a woman, and the, and, the, and the woman had to walk the incredibly painful path of Alzheimer's disease. Uh, Alzheimer's disease is a disease that affects the brain and, and thinking power, and so it begins to affect your conduct and your thinking and your memory. This guy had been married to this woman for years and years and years, I think a couple of decades, and they were at the airport, and they were trying to catch a flight home, and, and the flight was going to be delayed for three hours. And this guy, having loved and served and um, been with his wife for a couple of decades, knew what this meant. He meant this was going to be a very long three hours. Because, you see, every few minutes, his wife would get up, and she was a really fast walker. He said from the time he met her, she was just like a speed walker, and he had to jog to kind of keep up with her. She would jump up out of her chair, and they would go charging through the terminal looking for who knows what. She would get partway out urgently, and then not know what she was doing, and then they would make their way back to their seat. And interspersed with that was this question. Every few minutes, it was this. What are we doing here? 
Why aren't we going home? To which the husband would patiently share the answer that our flight's been delayed and we're waiting in the airport terminal and we'll be home soon. Up they go and now they go charging down. Sit back down again, the questions begin again. As this is going on, there's an attractive younger woman who's just across the seat. She's on her laptop. And she says something, and the guy didn't quite hear it, so he said, said, pardon me? And she said, oh, I was just talking to myself. And she said, I was asking myself, will I ever find a man who will love me like that? You see, steadfast, sacrificial love is attractive. You don't have to be a Christian to get that. Guess what? You can be an atheist and get that. You don't need to believe in God. We are wired to long for that. We see that as the highest ideal. Sacrificial, enduring love. Turn in your Bible for a moment to Psalm 136. Psalm 136 is like a poem, an ode, if you will, to God's steadfast love. In Psalm 136, I would, I would invite you to read this out loud, by yourself or as a family or, or with a couple of friends sometime. Hearing it out loud over and over and over really drives home the point. You see, there's 26 verses, and 26 times this phrase is repeated. For his steadfast love endures forever. For his steadfast love endures forever. The psalm starts off talking about creation. And showing that in creation we see that his steadfast love endures forever. Then it moves on to Israel's history and the great and mighty acts that God did to rescue and save the nation of Israel. For his steadfast love endures forever. And then it moves on to um, our own personal need. And the cares and the concerns that we all have. And that he comes and meets us in those. And he rescues us from those. Because his steadfast love endures forever. As amazing as this psalm is, and amazing as, as all the great signs and miracles that God has done in our, in our nation's past and our personal past and in all of creation to show His steadfast love, the whole of the Old Testament points forward to one world-changing event. The cross of Christ. The first part of the New Testament talks nothing about the cross of Christ, and the rest of the New Testament points back to the cross of Christ. So when we think about boasting in the cross, I want you to remember the steadfast love of God that endures forever. Could there be a more concrete and lasting image of how much God sacrificially and enduringly loves us than to see the price that he paid on the cross for us. I am yours and you are mine. That's what we just sang. To some of you, depending on what you've walked in here with, where where you're at in life, those words may have barely been able to be choked out because they were so exceedingly meaningful to you. 
You know what you're doing when you can't barely choke that line out? It's that you're getting that that is worth boasting in. That God would love us that much. And that it's been on display for us now, and that it's unchanging. Do you see why Paul is writing this in all caps? Do you see why he's saying this is really, really important, what follows? Pay attention. Let's look at the results of good boasting. Number one is that it changes our relationship to the world. Flip open to 1 John 2. Near the back of your Bibles, go to 1 John 2, verse 15. If you're taking notes, you can just jot this down. But another one is Philippians 3.20, which says this, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Paul says this, I'm boasting in the cross, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. 1 John 2.15 says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, and some of your translations add the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. You see, boasting in the cross changes us. Understanding and embracing and trusting in the cross, it changes us. Fundamentally, the way we relate to the world changes. When someone is alive to you, you interact with them. You relate to them. It could be positive or negative, but you, re- you interact with them. What Paul's saying is this. The cross of Christ makes the world a corpse to us. We're dead to it and, and us to the world. It changes from having a hold on us, from having a pull on us, to, to not having that. Look at verse 15. Verse 15 says this, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor circumcision, but what? A new creation. Another result of the cross is the new creation. It causes, it reminds us that we are a new creation. So so as you see the cross, you remember that Jesus was killed on the cross, was buried, and three days later he rose again. We're going to talk about this in a couple weeks at Easter, but... John 14 gives us this awesome reminder. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says this quite simply. Because I'm alive, because I live, you will live also. Whoa! Hey, something, something magical just went on. A massive sweeping change just happened. Death has been conquered. You're a brand new creation. Today after church, we're going to have a baptism class, and many in this room are going to come and just... Hear from the scriptures. What's baptism all about? Isn't that ritual? Isn't that putting on a show? No, 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 no. It's a little drama that Jesus left for us. It said, you come follow after me. You come publicly declare that you're mine now. And in that drama, you're going to go down. And when you're raised up out of the water, that is just symbolic of something that's already gone inside. Remember, we're innies, we're not outies. 
Christianity is about something that's already taken place. You're not saved when you come up out of the water. That's just representing what's gone on. And you get to walk now in newness of life as a brand new creation. Now, here's the next one. It causes people uh, to be able to endure. Verse 17, Paul is contrasting, uh, oddly enough, these, these very uncomfortable marks called circumcision that the false teachers are putting on other people, and they're really doing it to preserve their own comfort. They don't want to be persecuted for it, so they keep the status quo going. They keep their converts going. While Paul, on the other hand, has the marks, verse 17 says, of a Christian. Boasting in the cross means you're able to suffer scars and abuse and discomfort for the one who died for you. Finally, verses 16 and 18 point out these things, and Paul closes with this. Peace and mercy and grace are to those who walk according to this. He's just giving a small summary of some of these things. I close with this thought. Individuals need to learn to boast in the cross, to be sure, but I think churches need to learn that as well. Everyone look at this cross for a moment. This cross is sitting here, and we are not unique to having a cross as a focal decoration point of our church. A lot of Christian churches you'd walk into, and you'd find a cross there somewhere, right? If this cross just sits here like a decoration, then it's nothing more than a show. If it's here just in a superficial kind of a way to kind of put on an outward sign that, hey, look, we value the cross, we've, we've hung one up in our building, but it doesn't change us, it might impress people. We might be able to glory in it. Well, we've kept the cross in our church. But if it doesn't infiltrate and begin to affect every part of our lives, it's a show. It's a sham. It's a fake. Now, we've taken our cross and we've made it a little bit more three-dimensional. I actually like it when people complain that they can't see the words to the music because there's a cross in the way. I go, exactly! That's it! That's it! That's exactly the reason it's there. Because it's, it's in our eyesight. The point of the cross hanging in our midst is that we want it to be in view of all that we do together. Not just as an external show, but as a representation of what's going on in our own eyes, in our own hearts and minds and wills, that there would be a filter of the cross and all that it reminds us. I hope that as we see this cross, we can see it and think of John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And as we think about John 3.16, it reminds us as a church our purpose. The same God who loved the world so much that he sacrificially died for it expects and is calling his church to so love the world and die for it sacrificially. To show off the cross. To show off the God who led the way. I hope as you see the cross and your suffering, some of you in here are suffering deeply this morning. I hope that as you see the cross, that you see uh, and remember that God 
enters into and is present with us in suffering like nothing else. The cross reminds us that God invaded human history, became a baby, grew into a man, and suffered not only in our place, but to identify with our suffering. Jesus is with you today in your suffering. You aren't left alone. You aren't at arm's reach. You have a high priest who identifies with your weakness of suffering. God's working in it, and he never wastes it. Some of you this morning probably walked in overjoyed. Maybe there was a recent promotion or some recognition or accomplishment. Seeing the cross, when you walk into this building and letting it filter your week, just reminds you of something. You know what? That promotion is great. You know what? The tickets that I scored for the event in two weeks, that's awesome. But nothing, nothing compares to the reality that my name is forever fixed in the Lamb's book of life. That I'm saved. That He is mine and I am His. And that won't ever change. And so it takes your your joy on this earth and instead of letting that grow and fester into something that's going to crumble one day, it actually actually even reflects and points to the deeper realities that you know and hold true. And that is that there's, there's glory coming for all eternity and recognition and intimacy and joy because of Christ. I don't know if you're like me, but as I studied and thought and prayed and meditated on this verse this week, my prayer was this, God help me. God help me. I'm not as cross-obsessed as I ought to be. I don't filter everything through the cross. I'm so prone to boast and talk about little piddly things down here that like bubbles are going to disappear and be no more. God help us as a community of believers. God help us to, to be both reminders to one another of what really matters most and to receive the reminding that's needed. Don't you see that that's part of what we're doing here as a church family? It's part of why we gather. We gather together to sing and to rehearse the realities that Jesus is coming back. Jesus is on the throne today. By simply trusting in Him and putting on Christ, I'm freed from all the rat race competitiveness that I've been bound up in this week. We're going to sing some songs right now, and I hope even by the lyrics of the song and by the notes of the music that, that our hearts would be, would be recalibrated to be thinking on the cross. Let me pray. God, I thank You for creation, for recorded history, for my own personal story, for the Word of God, for this church. All of which serve as reminders and pointers to your steadfast and sacrificial love. But God, most of all, this morning, I praise you for the cross and everything that it entails. God, all the blessings that we sit here and revel in, 
even the bad stuff that we're doing, we recognize was obtained for us by the cross. With the bad things this morning, God, we place our trust that you are, you are longing for our deep soul healing. And sometimes that requires setting the bone, which is very painful. God, for those of us who are, who are overjoyed, I pray that you would steer our joy not to linger just on the gifts, but to go beyond them to the gift giver. I thank you, God, for the way that you take all these different things and let us marinate in it and help us to see and to boast in the cross this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.